Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater, the live interactive podcast that is essentially a book club for movies and TV shows. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, you can always catch me live Monday through Thursday around 3 p.m. Eastern. Go to repeattheaterlive.com. Repeattheaterlive.com will bring you to the YouTube. If you take the word live out and you just go to repeattheater.com, that's the Patreon. We're hoping to unlock memberships and monetization on the YouTube channel soon so you won't have to use Patreon. I'm going to try to go through this review pretty fast. I'm going to actually probably just have to put the clip clipboard down because I, I actually have th- three different sides to this. I, I saw a lot in Iron Man and we are doing this chronologically and I will avoid spoilers because there's so much in this. We'll get into spoilers in the VIP call-ins, I bet, because man, oh man, I felt like there was a lot of connections between this and things that happened really, really late in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And for those of you that are watching Chronological, this was the movie that kicked it all off. I mean, obviously, we're not watching it first. We're watching it third. Um, But this, (laughs) this movie really I think sets the stage for superhero movies all, all you know and beyond it this was one of the first times I think they really really got it right some of the other superhero movies around this time I think were struggling and uh, and this this was pretty serious no I'm just getting rid of the clipboard I'm gonna give you guys my full notes I just need to be able to unfold the paper and the clipboard's gonna interfere so the, the way this movie opens I love it I love the music I love his just his swagger his drink and his glasses you know it's it's just a great great opener and it's also a great contrast to the soldiers in the Humvee in the desert I, I think it, it comes across really really well he's got the suit on the glasses he's making jokes uh, he's immediately what you want to see in Tony Stark there's there's they they jump right into it they don't really build up the character he's immediately on display as a pretty cocky and arrogant guy uh, and then the the quick shock I mean they don't they don't waste any time it's boom an explosion there's fire there's people dying soldiers are dying I mean it's they go from laughing and joking and taking a selfie to utter chaos and I think that was uh, I, I like a movie that doesn't waste time they just jump right into it and you're like oh my goodness what is going to happen to Tony and I like the way they did the blood spread it, spreading through his shirt it's got like a chilling effect it's just like oh no did, <laughs> did the main guy just die like what happened to him you know and then they go from that they go from the blood spreading right to the terrorists like filming their video with him sitting there and I, a movie that starts low can only go uh, high and then they immediately go from that to the montage about Stark Industries and I've always enjoyed that. They got the Rolling Stone, you know, cover and the magazine cover. It feels genuine. It feels real. Like all of a sudden, you know, Stark Industries, it's like a real company. This is something that's really, really going on. It doesn't feel, uh, it doesn't actually feel like a comic book world. It feels like something that would, that would genuinely exist in our world. Uh, and he misses the award ceremony. He's playing craps and he leaves the award behind. He literally hands it to some guy. So now we're not in the desert, but from moment one, they don't make him like a nice guy. He's sure he's a playboy and sure he's really wealthy and he's brilliant, but he's not nice. Like there's, there's not, there's a lot here that's, that's, you know, in need of some redemption and some, uh, and some refining. And then his exchange with the reporter is just right on the money. He doesn't skip a beat. He only talks to her cause she's cute. Like happy tells him, she's like, yeah, she's pretty cute. And 
I like the mixture of defending Stark Industries. He talks about the, you know, the crops and the technology and the medicine and stuff that they've been able to, you know, contribute. He defends Stark Industries while also flirting with her, and uh, and she falls prey to the wiles and the charm of Tony Stark, um, which. This is how, if you're going to set Tony Stark up for what we know comes, for those of us that have watched the entire series, this is how you have to do it. This is how he needs to come across. Uh, I I like that they don't try to make him likable. I mean, he is likable because you're like, oh, if only I was this guy. But at the same time... He's, he's, he's not that great, you know, and then, uh, Pepper Potts is, this is one of the characters that I think endures throughout the series and just gets better and better. I really, really appreciate her contribution and what she brings to the table. She compliments him very well. Uh, her first scene, she gets a nice burn on the girl. She talks about how after all these years, you know, he still has you doing dry cleaning and she says, yes, and occasionally taking out the trash. Uh, that burn is God tier. (laughs) It's so good. Uh, is, is, is excellent excellent pepper handling his business also while having like a rapport with him they're back and forth about the artwork and where he has to go and where he has to be sometimes in a movie like this they want to establish like a backstory and a history and they struggle to do it i think you kind of immediately sense there's a history here he doesn't buy her birthday presents he doesn't remember birthday presents he's this this narcissist that that has trouble thinking of anybody but himself he's late to his flight you know, Rhodes is waiting there for three hours. He's grumpy. He's, you know, telling him, you know, I'm your babysitter. And he's being grumpy. And one of the things that um, I, I like about the way they set up Tony is no one stays mad at him for very long. He's, there is something too charming about him. There is something that's too winsome. Even Rhodes, you know, can't say no for very long. They start having... Uh, and they pronounce it Saki in this movie. I think you guys corrected me the other day on the pronunciation. Anyway, all of a sudden they're partying and there's a pole that like comes up from the floor and the, the flight attendants are dancing. I, it's just, it's, it's very, very good. Uh, I think it's very, very good character building that nobody really can stay mad at him for, for forever, which I think serves serves him sort of bending the rules sometimes and doing things that, you know, should get people really, really, you know, angry at him. Uh, he wakes up and then he discovers the battery. So he's very quickly humbled. So I like how they really slam him right back down to the ground. He goes from, he goes from, you know, he's at the, he's shooting craps. He doesn't even care about this award. He's, he's got a woman that'll just immediately come to his house and spend the night with him. Cause he's just so charming. He's got his own plane. And then all of a sudden back down to reality, he's in a cave with a battery hooked up to his chest. And this doesn't just lead to him realizing, Oh man, I'm, I'm not invincible. His view of the world changes very, very quickly. And I like that. They don't just make this about him trying to break out. He realizes what's going on in the world, what's going on with his weapons. He's had too simplistic of a view of, of weapons manufacturing and weapons distribution. And I like that. They added that thread to his captivity. Um, it creates a depth in the character. It's the beginning of a change in what he cares about and he'll make some statements in this movie that really plays strong throughout as a theme and a thread for him in the other movies as well uh and this is a great great statement uh, from the guy that's helping him he says is this the last act of defiance of the great tony stark the hearers will understand what i feel like that's a great uh foreshadowing too um i love that is this the last 
act of defiance of the great Tony Stark. Great line. They set up Tony to be so brilliant uh, that I think their work in the cave is believable. Sometimes whenever you have situations going on where all of a sudden there's this brilliant person and you know they're pulling MacGyver stuff you know with batteries and tinfoil it's like oh come on that doesn't seem really believable it seems believable he's got the tech you know he's got at least some of the weapons stuff there and they set him up to be at such a high level of brilliance and intelligence that I don't I didn't find it like hard to believe he builds this suit in a cave with you know with a bunch of scrap uh the arc reactor for his chest and the initial Iron Man uh, sketch on like the paper, I like that. It felt like it felt like good backstory. I'll be honest. I didn't grow up reading Iron Man comics, so I'm not going to come at this with criticism if this is inaccurate or weird or or if they jumped over things or missed things that were really important. I thought for people that are coming in to get to know the Iron Man character, I thought this was excellent with the way that they, you know, just the sketch looked cool, you know, that they they and they were using like the different pieces of paper because they were transparent. More more really good commentary on his character that uh, you know, we we hope to see change throughout the series. He says, "You're a man who has everything and yet nothing." Because he's, he's got nothing. He's got nobody. He's got no family. And I think that that was un- just more... There's great lines here from the doctor about Tony. And I think it, I think a lot of what is said in this movie is what drives him. And a lot of it happens in these early scenes with the doctor. Uh, the suit up. Putting on the suit. I think is really, really good. I love that the doctor's like, you need more time. And he buys in the time. Uh, he knew, he knew that it was, uh, it was necessary. The suit reveal with the music is just, I, I described it as chef's kiss. It's just great. It's like, this is kind of what you want. You want this moment where it's not the Iron Man suit, but it's the beginnings of it. And it's tough and it's, it's fun. It's funny, but also it's kind of like, it's kind of cool. You want Iron Man to be cool. And I think they did a good job with that in the, uh, in the cave sequence when they finally reveal the suit. When the doctor says, this was always the plan, I'm going to see my family. Um, I didn't see that coming the first time I saw it, and I always kind of forget. And then I remember, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. He's going to see his family in the afterlife. His family is dead. He was accepting death in order to do something that he felt was super important. And he tells him, don't waste your life. And I just think, <laughs> again... If you like the character of Iron Man and Tony Stark, I think we get so much good groundwork done, you know, in the first 20 minutes of the movie when he's in captivity with this with this doctor and breaks, you know, and then breaks out. His first flight is great, but also not so great. I, I, I like when a movie makes you think, oh, yeah, got him. And then he just and then crashes. Uh, they 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 quickly sort of <laughs> bring him back down to Earth and he breaks up into pieces. And then Tony's back. Um, you know, cheeseburgers in the press conference. Cheeseburgers comes up later in the series. Uh, no spoilers, but you know, remember cheeseburgers. That as soon as he got back, he wanted cheeseburgers. Uh, Colson shows up to Potts uh, again. Chronological fiddles with this a little bit, but at least you're like, oh, I know that guy. You'll know him from Captain Marvel. It's Agent Colson, uh, and he hasn't aged a day. Well, he has, but you know what I'm saying. He he's uh he does a really good job, never really showing any sign of age. And he shows up and talks to Potts. You know, she kind of just takes his car and that's kind of the end of it. Tony's a bit of a wreck. He announces weapon, uh, they want to shut down weapon manufacturing shutdown, which obviously hurts the company. And uh, uh, oh, this is the first you're going to sort of sense that like something's going on with Obadiah. He seems to have ulterior motives. He's not really in Tony's corner, even though he's trying to act like he is. Uh, Pepper helps Tony 
with the thing in his chest. I think their chemistry is really, really great. I think it's a great scene. Um, you know, he says, I don't have anybody but you. I think that that's sort of the beginning of planting a seed in the viewer to want something more there than just, you know, boss and assistant. And um, I like the way that they did it. I thought she was an excellent choice. I thought that the way that they went back and forth. I always like when there's a relationship in a movie that feels believable. If the chemistry feels genuine, and I feel like that's that's the case between them. And that's a great scene uh, that, kind of, that kind of does that. Tony tries to bring Rhodes in. I actually forgot about this. He actually approaches Rhodes, tries to bring him in. And Rhodes is like, you need to get your mind right. And he just walks away. So he kind of leaves Tony to do this thing by himself with the suit. So Tony builds the suit, the first test video, 10%, thrust capacity, and then the fire extinguisher. This is consistent in the MCU. I think their their use of comedy and comedic timing is some of the best in movies like this. I think other people have tried to replicate it and they do very poorly. I think the MCU writers and their vision for how to execute on comedy in these somewhat serious scenes is done is done very, very well. Uh, he goes. The, he does the next test, one percent, and he's like, "Yeah, I can fly." So then there's the suit reveal. Tony pushes the test flight, and you know, <laughs> Jarvis is like, "No, we should wait." But he pushes the test flight, and then he falls through the ceiling, and then the fire extinguisher is there again. Good callback. Stark meets Coulson uh, at the party. So Coulson again. They're planting those seeds. You got to remember, this was the first one to come out, and it comes out. And we don't really have a, like a firm, obviously if you've read the comics, you know who S.H.I.E.L.D. is, but like you don't really know why he keeps showing up. Why does, why does, uh, why does Coulson keep showing up? You don't really understand that part. And then obviously they're planting those seeds for later, which I thought was good. Um, pretty significant. Potts and Tony almost kiss and then Potts needs a drink. So there's, again, there's more of that the you know they're putting something in front of you they're, they're making you want something as the viewer but they're not really giving it to you i think that's good but then the reporter confronts him disrupts his whole night he never makes it back to pots uh and he confronts obadiah right then and there and obadiah admits that he's the one who shut tony out of the board and it's clear something else is going on here that you know obadiah is up to something else then the red and gold suit you know suit up i think is uh iconic i think it's it's just so accurate one of the reasons i think iron man was a great choice for one of the first movies to do is i could really lean on the special effects i think doing an actual suit or doing actual costumes is harder to get right i think they've gotten better about it but i think that is more challenging to not make it look kind of corny and I think the Iron Man suit, they absolutely nail it. And obviously in future uh, movies, there's more versions of the suit you'll get to see. Um, and I think that that, I think that actually ends up, ends up being one of the reasons Iron Man was a good pick for the, for the starter. Uh, he lands on the battlefield and, you know, he takes charge. He gets shot down and he takes out the tank. I like how they're, they're sort of setting him up to be, he's a little clumsy, but it's just a lot of raw power. He just gets shot, bink, right out of the sky and then just blows the tank up, which he's a, he's just an absolute weapon. And one of the things about Iron Man, whenever I was growing up, I remember seeing him in the comics and stuff. I always just thought it was like a space suit with like lasers and stuff. And I think they did a good job in this sound design and the explosions i think the sound for you know the things in his hands it's right on the money i think that's another thing they get right about the suit is they uh they they get the they get the sound design uh right the unfortunate training exercise and how he kind of like lets roadie know what's going on 
I, again, I think it's excellent use of comedy. It's excellent use of the rapport between them and how nobody can really stay angry at Tony for very long. That, that theme kind of continues. Uh, Obadiah shows up to the real, what, who we think is the real baddies. He shows up to the bald baddies place. He confirms, confirms that he wanted this guy to kill Tony, which is a bit of a what wow factor. I, I actually thought that he wanted he wanted uh, he wanted Tony to be kidnapped but I thought more, something else was supposed to come out of it so I remember the first time I saw it I was like really you wanted him to actually kill him um, and then Potts uh, talks to Tony and this is where they again establish a theme and a thread about Tony that I think is really really important he says there's the next mission and Potts says you're gonna kill yourself so the this their back and forth there I think is really really important uh, for other things other movies motivations uh, th- there'll be there'll be character traits and dialogue from Tony that I think springboards from that moment in this movie and I love that they have that exchange super super tie in to other things that happen in future future and in, 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 in later movies in the franchise. Potts gets the files. She sees that Obadiah, you know, hired men to kill Tony. That's pretty significant. I like her her interchange with Coulson. She's like, yep, right now. She's like walking out with him really, really fast. That felt good. That felt real. I like that she's strong and she's competent, but she's also like, she's rattleable. Like, this is scary. This guy is dangerous. I need to get out of here. And yet she goes in there and kind of stares him down. I enjoyed that. I like, you know, that she stands toe-to-toe with, with, with Obadiah and then runs into Coles, and I felt like that was a good showing of, like, she's a human, she's a person, she can get scared, but she's also, you know, smart and brave at the same time. Uh, the scientist tells Obadiah, I'm not Tony Stark, and then in the next scene, Obadiah shows up at Tony's. I think that was the revelation that Obadiah needed. He's like, I'm not Tony Stark. I, you know, I can't come up with whatever this is, and so Obadiah comes and takes it. Tony crawls to his heart and then Jarvis helps again very subtle form of you know comedic comic relief but I think very very good that he he brings down the heart to him uh road sees the suit up and then says next time baby which anybody who is familiar with Iron Man knew what that was in reference to they know that that's a that's a reference to War Machine that's not like a spoiler if you're even remotely familiar with Iron Man you know there's another suit there's another guy you know referred to as War Machine and so I remember the first time I saw the movie being like, yes, I thought he was just going to jump in, but I think that would have been a little too much right out of the gate. So that was good. That was good seed planting, I thought. Um, the suit face-off feels crazy. It feels imbalanced. It feels barely possible. I liked that. The you One of the dangers of when you make somebody have like a really strong suit or a really strong power is they don't really feel ever threatened. And I thought they did... Uh, a really really nice job in this movie of setting it up to feel believable that Tony's outmatched he's got a weaker you know chest thing so it's weaker it doesn't have enough power he has to improvise the improvised jump punch is really good he jumps he uses just a little bit of the the thrusters and then punch him Um, and then the arc reaction explosion is you know, it's a little cliche to have the bad guy being like, oh, and like falling into an explosion. But I think it was the only necessary way to kind of end it and Obadiah and be able to kind of like brush this under the rug, which is, you know, what they try to do. Coulson tells Potts, you know, tells Potts it's S.H.I.E.L.D. This is the first official mention of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you watch this release date order, this is the first official mention of S.H.I.E.L.D. We watch Chronological, so we know who S.H.I.E.L.D. is from Captain Marvel. 
Tony makes his statement, and this moment, I think, is really significant in light of some other things that happen later on, but he can't keep it in, and he says, I am Iron Man, and that's the end of the movie. I remember that being a really satisfying ending for me. I The first time I saw it, I thought, this is great. This is right in line with his arrogance and his cockiness, and he's, you know, he's not going to keep quiet, which flows right into the post credit scene where, you know, Nick Fury is kind of annoyed with him. He's like, I am Iron Man. Like, he's really, really kind of frustrated. And chronological, actually chronological makes that scene really, really cool. Because you know Nick Fury from Captain Marvel, and then this man's showing up in like a leather jacket from the Matrix with like an eye patch, and you're like, whoa, and he's bald? I actually like that, that, that evolution of that character when you watch chronological if you don't watch chronological you're just like oh wow it's nick fury and the avengers initiative they're setting up the the franchise for like a long run so overall this is one of my favorites in the franchise it actually i actually enjoyed it more having seen all of them and like taking notes on things that connect in this movie to other things tony does in other movies i actually really enjoyed that so we're going to transition to q and a q and a and then vip collins if you're new always remember to click subscribe and the bell button and as always if you're listening elsewhere please like share and subscribe Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This is going to be the Q&A session that followed my Iron Man movie review. If you're listening to this or watching this on the other platforms that this podcast hits, you can always catch me live Monday through Thursday at repeattheaterlive.com. Repeattheaterlive.com. I'll bring you to the YouTube channel. This is the schedule for those of you that are watching the YouTube video later or whatever. We got You know, Marvel Cinematic Chronological on Mondays. Tuesdays and Thursdays are TV shows. We're doing Stranger Things and Breaking Bad. We're going to switch to Mando uh, in October so we can be set up for Mando Season 2. And then Wildcard Wednesdays, we got the founder coming this week as well. So first question coming in from Agent Atwood says favorite moments. I honestly think most of my favorite moments land when he's when he's in captivity because I think some of the guy's lines to him are really, really powerful about don't waste your life. You're a man who has everything and yet nothing. Um, obviously, if you've seen the entire franchise when he said, is this the last act of defiance of the great Tony Stark? Um, I, I don't know. That had a lot of meaning and a lot of power for me, but I'm not going to spoil why. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk about that um, maybe in the VIP call-ins. We keep spoilers out of the talks in Q&A, and we only get into spoilers in VIP for people that may be working their way through for the first time uh, ever. So those are probably where most of my, uh, you know, f- most of my my favorite moments come from. Sorry, I didn't have the, the questions up. There you go. Um, so yeah, this first question from Atwood. Sorry, I didn't have it on the, the screen. The, uh, it's, you know, I, I think those, those, those were more powerful to me because, yes, I know they can do really cool scenes where he's flying and shooting stuff. And yes, I know they can set up really cool fights. But the character, the, the the depth of his character mattering, you know, and being sort of established from really early on, I think is cooler. And I enjoyed that more. So after, you know, after he's on captivity, I really, really like the first initial suit reveal. And I really, really like anytime he's interacting with Potts. I think the chemistry between him and Gwyneth Paltrow is really, really charming. And I like it. It's, it's believable. I like them together. 
Uh, I think it, I think they they did a good job with casting. I think it would have been. Re- I, I honestly think this. It, it's hard to cast somebody opposite of somebody like Tony Stark, like Robert Downey Jr. There's, he's. He's really, really commanding of every scene that he's in. He, he's, he can steal the scene, uh, as it were. And acting opposite of him as his romantic interest that you know, slowly develops. I mean, if you, you don't see that, you're blind. I actually think that was probably a real, real challenging cast, as well as tough to act. I, I like This is why I like Gillian Anderson as an actress, because when she acts opposite of David Duchovny or Mads Mikkelsen in Hannibal, she does a really, really, really good job. And that, that makes me appreciate these scenes even more, that you can tell they took the care and the time with the casting. Uh, that that makes the scenes uh, really really believable because sometimes when you watch a movie and people are interacting there's just there's this there's not something there's like a spark there's something organic missing and I thought they did it they did it a good job and I, I liked her scene where she was helping him with like the chess piece and it was gross and it was she's like it was all slimy um I don't know. I think it was it was probably one of the better scenes between them. Uh, not just because of what he says about how you know she's all he got, she's all he has. She says it right back to him later. You know, you're all I have too. Um, so I uh, I liked it. Uh, next question from Jay. Um, it's crazy he was that good then because he's because uh, no one wanted to work with him. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> good redemption arc for him. I. Uh, I hope for a similar redemption arc for myself if possible. Jay says, given the long history to the production of this movie, all the way back to 1990 with names like Nicolas Cage, Tom Cruise being tossed around, where do you think we would be if either one of those had been selected? I don't want to be too hyperbolic here, but I'm telling you what, casting is the biggest difference between good and bad movies a lot of the times. And I think the MCU was dangling by a thread if they got it wrong because these are superheroes it has to be right and the casting for the MCU has been so consistently perfect with the exception of like when they picked Ed Norton I mean I don't know I think Ruffalo is a better banner I think Ed Norton could have done a fine job but other than that little little bit of a you know mix up there every I mean Everybody is their character. They just are. Like Robert Downey Jr. is is Tony Stark. It's just no. There's no question. You look at him, you're like, oh yes, it's just absolutely perfect. Um, you know, Evans is Captain America, and and I mean, Thor. I that he is Thor. You just look at him. Um, if this would have failed, there'd be no MCU. I agree. I really do. I think Nick Cage and Tom Cruise are great, but I think the reason it worked so well for Robert Downey Jr. is honestly because of his career path. Because of his career path, you almost see a little bit of Robert Downey Jr. in Tony Stark and vice versa, and it works. It really, really works. And so I think we would have seen too much of Tom Cruise or too much of Nick Cage and it would have made it it wouldn't have made it work as well. When I watch a Mission Impossible movie, I really enjoy them, but I see a lot of Tom Cruise in the scenes. It's hard not to. It's just that's just him. He he has a way about him. You know, and it, I think similar things about Nick Cage. 
Nick Cage is fantastic in uh, Matchstick Men and Adaptation, but there's a lot of Nick Cage there. There's something with the voice or something with his demeanor. Um, so, I don't know. This is why Favreau fought to get him as Tony Stark. Yeah, I'm telling you, Nick Cage good? Seriously. Go watch Adaptation or Matchstick Men. Nick Cage has actually got some really, really great movies in his uh, in his in his movie. He's just done too many. He's done too many kind of stinkers in the '90s, unfortunately. Um, you know, Con Air and and Face Off are a little cheesy, um, but yeah, I actually think he's got some great movies. Uh, Adaptation is actually very impressive. He plays uh, twin brothers, so he has to play two different versions of himself. It's just excellent. It's very, very excellent. Um, so yeah, I think this. I think this would have it would have crashed and burned if you picked the wrong person. And I think you know Favreau has a great vision for what is needed in movies. Um, I think he's done excellent, excellent work. And I think in this particular situation, he saw he was like, this this is the right person for this is the right person for for Tony Stark. Um, so. Yeah, he's pretty good in Gone in 60 Seconds. I mean, you can't use Ghost Rider as an example. I mean, any actor, I can run to one of their worst movies and be like, yeah, see, they're a bad actor. Um, Ghost Rider was probably bad for more reasons than just Nick Cage, I would think. Uh, <laughs> but I don't. I never like doing that to actors when they have like a... Um, yeah, they have a portfolio of work. I don't like reducing them to the to the to the worst movie. <laughs> that I, I I never think that's fair. Um, so, uh, Agent Atwood. From for some reason, this film seemed extremely boring compared to Captain Marvel and Captain America. Pfft, really, it felt like it drug out when they could have explained more with his childhood or his parents. Also, he seems too much like Batman. Um, thoughts. Um, man, there's so much here I don't agree with, like, at all. Um, this being boring compared to Marvel and Captain America, um, I actually feel like there's parts of Captain America and Captain Marvel that drag on. Like, I feel like this could be said in the other, in the other, um, way. Uh, you, you could probably flip this around a little bit. Um, I don't feel like any parts of this drag out. He's not hes not in captivity that long. Uh, he builds the suit relatively quickly. Um, I, and he seems too much like Batman. There's no similarities at all between him and Batman. Other than the fact that they're wealthy. That's it. They own some big corporation that they inherited from their dad and they're super wealthy. Tony Stark is, is absolutely brilliant and is able to do things that like Batman would you know dream about doing most of Batman's tech doesn't even come from him it comes from it comes from it, you know it comes from somebody else a lot of the times he's a great detective he's a great detective and a great fighter but a lot of Batman's tech he doesn't even come up with on his own um even Spider-Man is smarter I would say than Batman with the tech that he comes up with and how smart he is. This, I thought the pacing in this movie was actually really, really good. It doesn't show his childhood like Cap and Marvel. It's not actually, so it's not, it's actually not important. 
I don't think you need I don't think you need the backstory of his childhood to understand Tony Stark. They use that montage about how quick like, actually they do give you a decent backstory of his childhood. It's just really really quick. They show you how smart he was from the very very beginning with respect to um they photoshop him into the picture with Bill Gates and then he he, gra- he graduates MIT summa cum laude you know at the age of 16 or whatever like they be- they be- they do all that really really quickly to and i think that's needed i actually think the montage about stark industries that is about tony stark really makes you believe like oh wow he could actually do this with some scraps in a in a cave somewhere he could he could kind of macgyver himself a suit um all the origin films drag to a certain extent because you have to take time to establish the character and then his rise to superhero status. I just don't think there's almost any dead spots in this movie at all. There's none. I remember thinking, oh man, he's in the desert for a while. This 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 gets kind of slow here. But he's actually not. He's not out there for very long at all. As far as, you know, how long they they it takes up, you know, time in the movie. Um yeah, I, I think this is all over the place. This just feels like you're not a big Iron Man fan, you know? I, I feel like people would say similar things about Captain America and Captain Marvel if they're not big fans of them. They'd be like, yeah, it kind of drug on. It kind of dragged out, you know? It was, it was too long. Um, and I've always thought it was annoying when people compare him to Batman. I think they're completely and utterly different. Batman is vengeful and dark and broody and kind of sad. Iron Man is full of himself. He's a, you know, he's a ladies' man. He's, a, he's absolutely brilliant. Um... Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't think the comparison there is is on the money. Favreau before Iron Man directed Maid, Elf, and Zathura. After Iron Man, he proceeded to direct Iron Man Two, Chef, then Jungle Book, The Lion King, and The Mandalorian. What director do you think would have had a similar success as a director and on screen talent? I am not good with directors. Like I know the directors that I like and I know stuff that you know they make that I've enjoyed, but I'm not I'm not I'm not like a film buff director guy. I know directors that I like, and I know directors that I don't like. Um, so, you know, Favreau's been all, all over the place. You know, Iron Man 2 is kind of eh, it's okay. Uh, Iron Man 3 is is probably the one that I think people uh, like the least. Um, Elf was good, Maid was good. Um, and then, you say Jungle Book Lion King. Oh, that must have been the live action uh, Lion King, right? Mandalorian, I think, is 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 his um, is his. I don't even. Uh, what do you call that? Is his his masterpiece? It's his ninth symphony. Like I think Mandalorian is Favreau's best work, undeniably. Um, I think he 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 created something so special for the Star Wars universe and for Star Wars fans that is so true to the feel and the and the in the the space that Star Wars holds. I, I think that's his best work. Um, and then obviously Iron Man because he, I mean, he set up the MCU so, so well. So now Swan Song is your la- is when you're doing the last thing. I was going to say Peace de la Resistance, re- Resistance, but I don't think that's right. It's Creme de la Creme. Yeah, it's his, it's his crown jewel. It's, his, it's, his, it's, it's like when Brian Cranston said he knew that Breaking Bad was the the role of his lifetime. It's the most memorable role you're going to remember him acting in. And I think, you know, what Favreau brought to Mandalorian is probably some of his best work. And again, Iron Man 1 is also probably some of his best work because he set up 
the MCU and comic book movies in general to be seen as big blockbuster movies that look and feel awesome. Uh, I mean, we, we've had an entire generation of movies basically because Iron Man was excellent. If Iron Man would have been another kind of stinker or kind of like, you know, kind of like, ah, that's for comic book nerds, then it wouldn't have worked. But man, oh man, Iron Man and Tony Stark, like anybody can watch this and enjoy it. You don't have to be a comic book dude, you know, geek or girl or whatever. You don't have to be into comics to enjoy Iron Man. So King Arthur said, do you remember that? uh, Oh, do you remember where your very first thoughts after finding that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be portrayal of Iron Man after watching the movie? Um... Oh, and after watching the movie. I remember being excited because I've always liked him. I've always liked him. I liked him in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, My mom likes that movie. It's a Christmas movie that he's in. She made us watch it one year. I liked him in that. Um, I've always been a big fan of Redemption. I've never liked when when actors and actresses and and musicians and stuff kind of fall from public. You know, they kind of fall from grace and have breakdowns or get into, you know, bad stuff. Um, I've always hated the way that we treat people and I thought that the documentary which ended up being a mockumentary called I'm Still Here with Joaquin Phoenix was just such an indictment of the entertainment industry and how we treat people Um, and obviously this is way more meaningful to me now after what I've been through um, with what people can do to your public image it's not difficult at all and people will ravenously consume you and your life and they take enjoyment from it. So I've been a big fan, but even before everything happened to me, even before cancel culture was like a thing, I remember watching I'm Still Here with Joaquin Phoenix and thinking, man, what an indictment of how we treat people. And then I, I've, I, I'd always had similar comments and said similar things about what we what we did to Britney Spears and, and, um, and Justin Bieber. You know, these were kids and it just just consumed them and voyeuristically enjoyed their downfall. Um, I think it's disgusting, truly. Um, so, I was thrilled when I saw RDJ getting it. Um, RDJ is the one that stood up and said, hey, you know, Mel Gibson, we can, we can kind of let him back in. We don't have to make him hug the cactus anymore. Uh, he gave a great speech. He said he was, you know, he said Mel Gibson was one of the few people that reached out to him when he kind of, he kind of fell. Uh, and, you know, and I think that the way, the way his life has gone, I, um, I really, really relate to it. I do. I relate to somebody who gets into a place they don't want to be, or they start to see themselves accurately and then want to better themselves. Cause I've done that for, you know, two and a half years and continue to, and, um, it's uh, it's not just inspiring. I find it to be like empowering. Like if he can do it, so can I. And so, yeah, I was thrilled when he got he got the casting job. I'm always open. Like I remember when Heath Ledger got cast as Joker, and now we got people angry about Robert Pattinson cast as Batman. I'm always like, give him a shot. Somebody somewhere saw something in Heath Ledger for Joker. Somebody somewhere saw something for a lot of these casting decisions and I'm always like give them a shot you know Silent Magician says do you think the MCU would have been so successful if they uh, if they started with Captain America instead of Iron Man um you know it's hard to know timing when it landed would it have felt too patriotic you know too yay America you know um 
I don't know. I think I think Iron Man was just the right choice. It's easy to make Iron Man look cool. It's hard to make Captain America look cool. And Chris Evans is cool and very and very big and strong and he looks great. He looks like Cap. But Cap, it's hard to make. I think it's harder to make Cap cool. It's harder to make some of the superheroes cool. Um, I didn't like Thor that much until Ragnarok. He's just so Loki. No, like oh, I am Thor. Like yeah, it can't really relate to that. You know, I can relate to Tony Stark. I can look at his awesome Iron Man suit flying around and you know, like blowing things up, and it just feels dope. Um, you know, I. Uh, it probably would have been less, maybe less successful. You know, I think they made the right call. I really do. I think th- th- oh, any of them would have been harder. I think to to jumpstart the franchise. Thor, Hulk, uh, you know, any of the center stage, any of the center stage characters, uh, they would they would have struggled. I think. Krebsy. Knowing that Tony is such a broken man in Iron Man, and knowing where his story goes throughout the MCU, how has this changed or enhanced the way you rewatched Iron Man? Well, I don't want to get into spoilers, but I laid some good breadcrumbs for you. If you're familiar, the line—I'll just read a couple of them to you. When the guy, when the doctor says, "Is this the last act of defiance of the great Tony Stark?" That's, I think, wonderful. Uh, you're a man that has everything and then and has nothing. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have children. And this this poor doctor seemingly has more. Seemingly has more than him uh, at that moment. He tells him, don't waste your life. Uh, when Tony becomes sort of enthralled with, I have to do this, and then there's just the next mission. He's sort of speaking almost as like a soldier. Um, I think that's good as well. Kind of sets things up for his character long term. But I don't want to connect those dots and spoil anything. But I just think those are good things to pay attention to uh, if it's your first time watching it. Rabble Rouser. Uh, in the first press conferences scene, Tony makes everybody sit and then he stands to continue his speech, exhibiting his sense of grandeur. Did you notice any other scenes like this? I think they wanted that to be more about he was sort of unraveling, right? He has him sit down and he's eating a cheeseburger. He brings up the fact that he never got to say goodbye to his dad. Um, and I think he gets on the mic because he wanted to make sure it was heard and recorded that we're shutting down weapons manufacturing. I think that was, I, I think it's just meant to be like, man, this guy's all over the place. What is going on? I don't necessarily think it's supposed to be like he's exhibiting his sense of grandeur. Like he already does that on his own. <laughs> I, it did. It felt a little bit more to me like he's untethered. He's a little wild. He doesn't really know what's going on. Um, JB says, a, a question straight from a stop and shop line of doom. How do you like the way the story plot plays out where he's almost taken out by his own weapons and learns his reckless ways are no good for humanity? Yeah, I touched on that at the beginning. I like that his captivity changed to a shift in his worldview. His worldview was very simplistic. Build stronger weapons than the other guy. He doesn't see that his disregard, the lack of accountability, like the, the money's coming in and he just thinks, yeah, this is all on the up and up. I appreciated that. It was it was a it was a really, really good because his character changes in this movie. 
he's still full of himself and arrogant at the end but he's directing his efforts his intelligence his energies into other things as opposed to just let's make a bunch of money and it, th- that's the thing is he comes back and it's like the money doesn't even matter to him he doesn't care about the 40 or the 52 points that they lose in the stock market um by saying you know we're a weapons manufacturer that's not going to make weapons um I thought that was again that was good character development they don't beat you over the head with it but it's like he almost gets killed by his own tech he sees his tech in the hands of the enemy and he learns that they've been selling stuff under the table and it's like uh uh we gotta shut all this down so even in the midst of him being a you know he's a womanizer he's a playboy he's arrogant he's full of himself but at, the, but at his heart of hearts, he's still good. He's like, we're not going to do this. I thought we were stopping the bad guys, and we're not doing that. We're empowering them. So that, I think, was the beginning of his change, and I liked that it was before he had the suit. It It's where the tech is born, the suit is born, and he, as, a, as Tony, is born, I think, in that cave. The, uh, ironically enough, Obadiah says, I think he left part of himself back in that cave. Like, even Obadiah sees it like, this is not the Tony that went in. There's a different Tony that came out. The Torch. Do you think this movie sets up the duality of Tony as a character, narcissist, billionaire, playboy, guy who's willing to give it all up and do the right thing by taking weapons from baddies? I actually think this is great because this is accurate to people. This is accurate to people. Your character traits are your character traits. You can't stop like I even through my own therapy, I have self-absorbed narcissistic tendencies. Um, visionary people tend to be that way because we're confident in, in ourselves, we're confident in our ideas and that leads to you know unchecked, it leads to forms of self-absorption and uh, narcissism. And it's something that I've worked on. But it's still there. It's still in me. It's still part of my character and the way that I carry myself and the way that I communicate. Uh, So even if I try to better myself and be a better person like I have, I think there's there's still a me there that's still present that you're like, yeah, this guy's changed. He's better. He's nicer. So with Tony, it's like he's still a narcissist, but the playboy aspect, I think, goes down over time. And he clearly starts to prioritize other things. And so even his quirks about not being handed things and thinking he's right and not wanting to listen to other people um, and, and having that level of arrogance and having that level of confidence, I still think I still think they do a good job of it's like he doesn't suddenly become somebody else. It wouldn't be enjoyable to watch if suddenly he was like, now, now we we need to be polite. And, you know, and he makes fun of Cap for saying language in the one movie. I mean, that's Tony Stark. Like he has to be true to Tony, even though he's going through uh, changes and and he's being deepened. And there's a there's a maturity and things you start to see later on. Um, So. I, I actually really, really appreciate this because I, like I said, I think it's true. I think it's true to how people grow and change. We, this is why, you know, obviously this is very close to home, but this is why cancel culture is so absurd because it doesn't allow for people to slowly change. It doesn't allow for people to change really at all. Um, it doesn't allow, like 
Robert Downey Jr.'s redemption story and the redemption story of Tony Stark cannot exist in the world of cancel culture. It can't. It, you're, you're cast into utter darkness. You're scum. You're vile. You never, ever, you know, can be worked with again. And you can see the people that have gone through things like he has are more sympathetic, like in his speech that RDJ gave where he was like, let's stop making Mel Gibson hug the cactus. Like, you can work with this man again. Let's let him back in. Um... And I think that's why I like his character and I relate to his character so much because I know what it's like to be narcissistic and self-absorbed and I struggle to think of other people and I think I've got pretty good ideas. I think I'm, you know, I'm I'm a reasonably intelligent person. And so it's like, I relate. I don't, I don't think I'm a genius. Like obviously he's, he's mythologically brilliant in these movies. He's so brilliant that it's like, there aren't really people like that generally, but I relate to, like, what that does to his relationships, what that does to his friendships, uh, and how he tries to be better, um, and he tries to grow and improve, and I don't know, I connect, I connect with him on, like, a spiritual level, like, I connect to RDJ and Tony Stark on, like, a spiritual level, and, um, you know, I, uh, I appreciate especially what they do with his character long term as you watch the whole MCU. So that's going to be all the time we're, we're going to allot for questions. Good, good questions, though. Good 30-minute session. Thank you for that. I think we have people that want to do VIP call-in, so there should be a VIP session to follow this. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always catch these live Monday through Thursday uh, at repeattheaterlive.com. As always, if you're watching or listening elsewhere, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater, the live interactive podcast that is essentially a book club for movies and TV shows. On Mondays, we're working through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is going to be a VIP call-in session that followed our Iron Man movie review. Uh, We're also working through Stranger Things and Breaking Bad, and if you are a VIP, you may be selected for a wild card. If you want to call in live, you do need to be a a VIP member. If you want to pick one of those tiers, you can go to repeattheater.com. Repeattheater.com will take you to the Patreon. If you'd rather just watch live, you can go to repeattheaterlive.com, and that'll bring you to the YouTube. We do these shows Monday through Thursday around 3 p.m. Eastern. We've been doing repeat theater VIP call-ins as a roundtable, but I have more people calling in today than in the past, so it was going to be a little too much. So we're going to we're gonna kind of do a tag-in method where I'll tag different people in the talk, and if they want to chime back in, they can let me know in the voice chat. If not, don't no pressure. If you say your piece and make your commentary or ask your question and you're good, that's totally fine too. So I'm going to start with Agent Atwood at the top here. What did you want to talk about uh, with respect to Iron Man 1? Uh, is uh, the movie okay so as I said in my question um, with him being related to Iron Man I just personally I mean he has quite a few similarities when comparing them because I mean if you think about it you got um, they both take control of the family business you know they're they're wealthy they're both taken captive with you know Batman by Ra's al Ghul and then Iron Man by the terrorist group and then you know it both shows how they're taking vengeance against their captors you know they're part of this all American superhero team and it I just think you know they're very similar to each other and uh, a lot of people don't understand that you know they also have like a so called quote unquote butler you know with Pepper Potts being Iron Man and Alfred being Batman I mean you know I 
I think it's because I look at the character. I wasn't looking at the logistics around them. So yeah, I think that is true. If you line up a lot of those things and their wealth leads to technology that aids them in fighting crime, they don't have a superpower. They just use their brain and their technology and obviously fighting chops. I mean, Batman's really good at fighting. So that I can agree with. I think the, the my my problem, and I think the reason a lot of us kind of bristled at it is Iron Man and Tony Stark, we're thinking character. Like, he's nothing like Batman. What are you talking about? But yes, they're the, the pieces that lead to them fighting crime and, and wanting to be a hero are very, very similar. Um, in, and I think after that, though, is when a lot of everything kind of changes. Batman seems to have almost a psychological effect on Gotham that is always the driving tension. Is he the reason that the, the villains are so crazy and exist the way that they do? Iron Man feels more driven by uh, fighting against this giant threat and then obviously we're in VIP call-ins now we can get into spoilers we see this play out throughout the MCU his visions that he has his desire uh, to protect the earth um, and so I feel like they're driven they're driven by different things like Batman as I said when I disagreed earlier I was like he's more driven by vengeance he's more dark and broody and Tony's more driven by we've messed up here this is jacked up what we've been doing with these weapons we need to make this right we need to we need to stop doing this and then he goes bigger it's like he wants to end up putting a shield around the world and he sees how big the threat is out there and he feels the weight of that all on him which is comes in huge at the end when he's when he's when he dies i mean it's just like um that i think is is a significant that's where i was drawing the connection with when he says is this the last uh act of defiance of the great tony stark and it's like no the last the last act of defiance of the great tony stark is amazing his last act of defiance is fantastic so like i feel like their character their 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 personalities and what drives them is very different. The logistics are similar, yes. Inherits the family business, has sort of like an assistant slash butler or whatever. Obviously, Pepper Potts is a whole lot better than than uh, than what we see with Alfred. Like, she connects with him, I think, on a deeper level. He's more fatherly, honestly, uh, Alfred is. But, I, yeah, I, I'll concede those similarities, but I will say they end up going very, very different pathways after that, and they also are motivated very differently. I also think, you know, if you, um, if you think about, I think one of the main differences is if you look at Batman, he has a strict no killing code. You know, there, there is no killing. Whereas Iron Man, he kind of goes, you know, and here in a way where he just, if he thinks they deserve it, then, you know, he'll do away with them. Whereas Batman, you know, where like, no matter what, you don't kill anybody. Right, and I think the difference is who they're fighting. Like Batman in some of the comics, I mean, he's fighting bank robbers and 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 th- and thugs and gangsters. And also, it was almost like he doesn't want to be corrupted. He doesn't want to become as crazy as the Joker. The Joker is okay with killing. Um, and the other the other thing with Iron Man, Iron Man steps into a battlefield where he has to kill because it's a war. There's guns and. It's kind of like, I like that in Captain America, where Cap had no problem picking up a gun and shooting because he was going into a war. I think the, I'm going to be, you know, the 
the better man and not kill. It's like, you can't do that in a, in a war. You know, it, when you're fighting, like, neighborhood crime, Spider-Man's similar, right? Like, Spider-Man's not really ever killing, and it's because he's, he's fighting, you know, bank robbers and hoodlums. And it, it gets, I think it gets different when you, you step into the realms they had both Iron Man and Captain America stepping into. Yeah, and then I think the second part of my question was how I believe it's boring compared to other movies. Because if you look at Captain Marvel, for example, um, you know, when it's going through her memories, they're doing something during that time and it's for a reason. Whereas Iron Man is just, it's like, I don't want to say it, but it's kind of like the same thing over and over again. It's just, and it feels like the scenes drag out for a lot longer than they should. Like, for example, the part with Pepper Potts where she asked him for a drink. I believe that just drug out for like forever. It seemed like, can we just get to the next part of the story? What's going on? Why is this happening? Yeah, I, I think Wolverine's adding some good commentary here. It's it's 10 years. It's like a decade of, uh, you know, the movie and the setting of the stage for the next decade. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. I think storytelling was different. They could take maybe more time. Um, I don't know. I with, I think maybe because I like the movie so much, I never felt like any of those scenes were dragging out. I think some of this is just a little bit subjective to the viewer. Uh, I liked I liked some of those scenes. I liked that scene with her. It felt honest. It felt you know the 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 dialogue, her delivery of it. It, it was. It would be awkward and a little you know make her a little get. He gets her flustered of all people. Like she's this confident, strong very very intelligent woman who has who takes care of his business i mean tony doesn't take care of the business she does like she's handling she's handling everything and uh and he gets her flustered and i i liked that it was like he kind of broke through that wall and there was a moment of vulnerability and so because i'm enjoying the scene maybe i don't feel like it's dragging out um and captain marvel's storytelling was very different it was separated by you know a decade and she's you know, it's, it's, I feel like her origin story, maybe they wanted to take more time with it. And with Iron Man, I think that the, the process of him becoming Iron Man, I think is told really well in the beginning. I think those are, those, that, I, that again was my favorite, uh, scene with kind of sequence of scenes was when he's in captivity. I like that the most about what they do to his character and how much he changes. <laughs> And I want to mention this one last thing, but you look at the scene where in Captain Marvel when they're they find out that the that they're really on the same side, and you know they're at her friend's house, and during that scene you still have that intensity of is he lying? Is he just going to turn his back on her? Whereas with Iron Man, it's just you know they're just having a normal conversation. You know, it's just like you know this what's there's not really a point. It doesn't really develop the story, whereas in Captain Marvel, when she's communicating with them, she's learning that they're not really the enemy, while also realizing that are they just going to backstab her at the last second, or what's going to happen next? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of like the the differences because what they did with Obadiah was he sort of grew as a menacing character. I, I one of the things I really appreciated with framing is when 
he's standing in Tony's office and Pepper's leaving. I think the framing and the shot there is really good. His hands are on his hips. They use top lighting, so the shadows on his face are very... They're all, he looks scary. He looks almost uh, villainous just standing there, and that felt very comic book-esque. That kind of framing is what they would do in a comic book. She would leave, and they would kind of have him in the background like that with less detail, but it really enunciated his threat, and then that transitions into him realizing what she got access to so I, lo- I don't know I like that and then Obadiah using the same tech on the bad guys he uses that on Tony steals Tony's heart the development of like I'm not Tony Stark the doctor is essentially why Obadiah goes to Tony he's like well we gotta we gotta pull this dude's heart out you know cause uh, th- these guys can't develop the small arc reactor so mm-hmm. and I think I'm glad you mentioned that because that made me think that with Obadiah it felt like it they his character arc went by too fast he didn't get enough time to develop where you know you look at someone like the villain and captain marvel um with, who appears in guardians of the galaxy later on they get development and what their motives are and stuff like that whereas obadiah it's like you know here he is he's the main villain let's get him you know it just it seemed like it developed too fast and in the scene where he drives up in the suburbans, it it made it seem like to be it was supposed to be shocking where we already knew that he was evil because of after he told Tony that he he's the reason he's taking time off. Where it's just like it, it went too fast. Kind um, and if you haven't seen this, but it's kind of like with Daenerys in Game of Thrones, for example. Yeah, yeah, I I see where you're coming from. I just think it's difference. It's just a difference in storytelling. And you know, Wolverine's making a good point. It's he's a D-list villain, setting the stage for future villains. I don't think he's supposed to be this major player. I think it's believable. You know, he he was probably and they and they paint that picture in the I think in the montage that he takes over uh, Stark Industries, which he probably loved being in control and power. And this 21 year old cocky narcissist brilliant person comes in and takes over it was i found it very believable that this guy would not like tony and be annoyed by him and want to get Mm -hmm. rid of him um so i liked it i thought i thought it was good and again it's just it's just differences differences in the ways that they decided to to tell it and pace it yeah but that's all i really want to say i just think they just drug it out too quickly and then the other scenes it felt like it was a little too slow that's all i really wanted to mention but thank thanks for taking your time yeah, thanks for calling in. We're going to go to the next caller. We're going to go to uh, Charai. Charai uh, did, doesn't have a pronunciation for this <laughs> for this this name, but I, that we're going to call you Charai. What did you want to That's talk fine. about? That's fine. Um, I just want to start out by saying that I'm coming at this from an entirely different point of view from the previous caller. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with Iron Man being my favorite comic book character, hero. Okay. Um, and I've always been a fan of Robert Downey Jr., so I was over the moon when they announced that he would be playing Iron Man. I knew that they'd get it right. Unlike yeah. some other MCU movies that I really love, like uh, Fantastic Four, which they butchered multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will admit that they made a lot of changes, but they got they got the important stuff right. Mm-hmm. Downey was Tony Stark. He was mm-hmm. Tony Stark from the com- comic book. That felt like Tony Stark. So they got that right. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed this movie. I, I thought it was, I preferred it, personally, I preferred it to Captain Marvel and, um, what was the other one? Captain America? 
Yes. I thought Captain America was a little dull, but then I don't like war scenes. Yeah. I'm not big on that. And Captain Marvel was, I thought was just so-so. So mm -hmm. that's just a different viewpoint. Um, I guess my question is with Iron Man dying and, you know, Downey, I guess he's, will, will no longer be in the MCU. What kind of impact do you think that will have on the future of all the movies going forward? Yeah, that's a good question because he has been a real, he's got a very unifying presence, I think both off camera and on camera. Um, I know he even, he even argued for more money for some of the younger actors. Like he, he, he kind of used his, cause he's got a lot of power. I mean, you, you can't move on without him. They could move on without the original roadie, but you can't move on without, uh, Robert Downey Jr. So I, I think that's, he's going to be missed in that respect. He's a very, he's just got such a, uh, a compelling and, and captivating power as a person and as an actor. Um, I think anything they do with Iron Man from here on out won't be as it'll be hard to enjoy it as much I know they end the one movie and you hear the hammer on the uh right it's right out of this movie that sound effect and I think that's supposed to tell you that they've got plans for Iron Man you know there's obviously the kid that he helps he's at the funeral scene they could do something with that but I think they've set up a couple of the arcs really, really well. The one I'm most interested in would be the Asgardians of the Galaxy. I, I think Thor, his rapport and humor with them is some of the best stuff they've gotten out of all of this. Uh, they're, they're, they're back and forth in Infinity War has got to be one of my favorite like 10 minute sequences. I don't know how long it is, but when they catch, they get Thor and they're all going back and forth and they wake him up. That's some of the best writing, some of the best comedy in the entire MCU I want more of that I think they did such a good job with that as well as Ragnarok I think they brought as as, as difficult as it was they made Thor a really fun character and I think that's hard to do with like a Greek god um, and it, it makes him very fun so I think the future of the MCU I think they're probably going to try and make them take more center stage because obviously Chris Hemsworth is really attractive and he's charming and people like him I think that can kind of use him as more of their put him out in front as, as well as the Guardians of the Galaxy I mean they're, 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 that's a great cast there everybody, everybody enjoys them but Chris Evans also is essentially put out to pasture too so you've lost kind of two of your golden boys you, you lose cap and you lose iron man he hands the shield off i mean that's it's going to be falcon and the winter soldier uh and i think the i think the going toward television shows has me more excited because i like that more i think you get to spend more time with characters and, and take things slower which is what i'm looking forward to because i that's why i thought mando was so enjoyable as a star wars fan they got to take their time and really tell a story instead of make a blockbuster and it would have been easy i think to do a bunch of blockbusters with these guys and they wouldn't i don't know if they would have performed as well so I think Disney made a smart play there to take some of these other characters that we like and put them on Disney Plus and put them into a uh, put them into a um, a television show format. So more than likely, I think that's going to be the shift and the change. You'll see Hemsworth take more of the center stage, and then I don't know if they would even risk using Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans for cameos or anything like that. Even flashbacks might it might not work as well as they would maybe hope. It'd be good just to kind of hand things off. Also, they've opened things up to the multiverse. They, they could be 
other movies and other Iron Mans and other other realities where they don't even use those actors anymore. I, I would feel like they'd want to wait to do that. That would feel maybe really, really rushed. Spider-Man, they can still do good things with. I know uh, Tom Holland and, and has been well-received uh, as a Spider-Man. So I think he could also take center stage alongside Hemsworth to really carry the franchise. Is a great... Spider-Man's a super iconic uh, character. Anytime I go anywhere with my kiddos and their superhero stuff... Spider-Man's always one of the ones there almost every time. He's very recognizable with the artwork and everything. So, um, it is interesting of all the characters to really springboard the MCU. I don't think I ever would have guessed Iron Man because he doesn't feel as iconic, but he certainly has become iconic. I think because how well received these movies were along with RDJ's portrayal. So, I don't really have much else. I just wanted to say I love your idea about um, Thor and the Guardians because those are my two favorites right Mm -hmm. now. And I thought those scenes were stellar. So I'd love to, I was hoping when I watched it in the movie that they would do a movie together and that would be, that would be the path for a while. So I I love that idea. And that's really all I had. So thanks for letting me talk. Yeah. Thanks for calling in. I think I think uh, that's official that they're doing that. I don't I don't know if anybody in chat know. Isn't that official? That's what they're doing. I'm not sure, but man, I I think everybody's dying for that to be where they go with things. Uh, all right, I'm coming. I'm coming to you, uh, JB. What do you uh, What do you got for me today? All right, everybody ready for the, the annual Marvel history lesson? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first off, she's absolutely correct uh, as far as um, the start of as far as uh, getting the Tony Starks and Robert Downey Jr. right, he he absolutely is Iron Man. He absolutely is Tony Stark. He portrayed it perceptionally well. Um, and what I took out of it, as far as when I was watching it, my theory is when it comes to origin stories, it doesn't have to be, I would say, to the T, but at mm-hmm. least make sure that, that the background is accurate. Um, so him, you know, the, you know, the explosion and the shrapnel in his chest and him being captured, all that, you know, happened in the comic, but the, I mean, the only difference was, you know, and I guess because of the political times that was going on in actual America at that time, because we was, you know, in Afghan war, that's why they kind of added that Afghanistan presence in the movie, mm-hmm. even though he was captured by Wong Cho, Wong Chu in the comics okay. so and then and dr and dr um jensen is actually chinese too so um but again that didn't bother me they because they they actually had everything down to the teeth of him getting captured him creating a suit in the cave and you know and jensen and all that so i was like all right thumbs up for that way to start it off i was happy about that as far as uh just Iron Man as far as his importance to Marvel. Like, yes, he's that narcissistic, you know, guy. And um, he, he's what, what Stanley called the necessary, <laughs> the necessary evil of Marvel because even though he has good intentions, it's like his actions always leads to the superheroes having to clean up his mess. <laughs> so, yeah. so 
it, so it's so that's why it, it's like he's needed out there because you know even as smart as he is and I know he wants to protect the world and stuff like that he always gets so far ahead of himself that he just doesn't realize like okay Tony you gotta take a step back but he's like he's so arrogant that it's no I got this and then he winds up screwing up saying he, he did it with Ultron he did it he did it it's, it's just him keeping secrets of people and this is why him and Cap always bump heads because Cap's like Cap wanna do it by the book, but Tony wants to, you know, bend the rules or stretch boundaries. Mm -hmm. So that's where I feel like, you know, having someone like Robert Downing is uh was awesome as well. Now, um speaking of when you used to talk about as far as his character, now two things that happen in Endgame that um when people talk about those characters the thing with cat getting old mm -hmm. that's actually story in the comics where he gets old he didn't get old the way it happened in the comics but he does get old in the comics and he wants to be in the um director of shield oh so so they can still bring kiss evans act to play that role that he can take over shield and and things can play out that way um or again, since the multiverse is there, they can go back and uh, with the Tesseract, because that's actually how he becomes young again with the Tesseract. Um, then, as far as Tony goes, there's also, he, and this is what Robert Downey in real life is pushing for, because they asked him to come back and he said he will not come back unless Pepper Potts comes back. He said, that's, and she's already said that she's moved on from the MCU. So he said that was the only way he would come back, but he did say, he, he, his predecessor, which is his predecessor in the comics, is Riri Williams, who becomes Ironheart. And um, and what happens is Tony is becomes which what's called an AI. So Tony becomes the new Jarvis. So he's an mm. actual AI hologram who who guides Riri Williams into becoming Ironheart. So. There's so many ways that Marvel can go apart about without having Ryan down be like in physical form there, he can play that part. Right. So I, so this is why, I mean, I love Marvel and I love uh, the directions that they're going in. And it's just so many stories that they can tap into. And I know people like, oh, how much longer can they go? You just don't know. They can go on for the next hundred years if they wanted to, because there's just so many stories. But yeah. If they stay on the path that they are and just don't try to do too much um, and don't do too little like they did with Captain Marvel, make everything feel as important and then you'll see like it, everything will be on the same plateau and everyone will be able to give it. Even the casual fan will be able to understand if you make everything seem the same instead of making this more important than the other. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder though, because I I hear you say that, and I wonder after a while if it would feel like they're overstaying their welcome. Like, is it time to hand things off? Because you know, it would it would feel and and somebody even in chat saying like, are they going to want to sign on to another ten years? Because if you agree to do just a couple of movies, that's a lot of years, a lot of hours. I wonder if they would even want to do, even if it was just voice work. I, I could see RDJ being like, oh, I'll do voice work for you. That might be fun, more laid back. He can do that in his home. Um, but, 
yeah, Chris Evans taking over S.H.I.E.L.D., I, I think I would like that, but I don't know if that's what he wants to do. And again, would it start to feel like these guys are really overstaying their welcome? It's it's time for new stories and new people to take over. Because uh, for me, I do, I wouldn't want to stretch them as the as the, as the actors and as the characters beyond what's enjoyable. Like it might be good to be like, man, we got a sweet twenty something movies out of all these different people, and now it's you know, let's go the direction of TV shows and spinoffs and other things. Cause it, I'm really anxious. I, I, I think Scarlet, Witch is wonderful. Like I really want to see that show. Like I want to watch her and then vision. Uh, I really liked vision too. I didn't think we got to see him fight enough. Um, I thought he was, I thought he was well, well acted, well portrayed. So I, I would be happy either way. I think a lingering concern I would have though is man, is this, is this a, are they just doing this for the to sell tickets? You know, like oh Tony, you know the the return of Tony or whatever. Because it'd be a big wow moment in a trailer to have his voice show up or something. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, the thing with Chris Evans or or Captain America taking over shit, you have to remember like Nick Fury. He the the longest he was ever in the movie was Captain Marvel. He only makes rare appearances here and there, so it can be that way where he he doesn't have those long rigorous hours where he's filming like he was with Cap, he can do his sporadic, you know, unless it's like a major conflict movie, like, in, you know, with all of them coming together, like an Avengers movie, where that will probably be his most thing. But he doesn't have to, you know, make those appearances just kind of like Nick Fury did. Because, I mean, if they want to write Samuel L. Jackson off, then all they can do with Samuel Jackson, which is the easiest thing, is is make him the man on the moon because that's what happens to Nick Fury anyway. He becomes a watch out of the moon and you can just do it to that where he comes there and he just becomes a new watcher of the moon and then somebody has to take over S.H.I.E.L.D. And if you don't want it to be Maria Hill, then, you know I me. Mean, obviously you can make it cap. Uh, I mean, Iron Man takes over as a uh, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. At, at a point too, but it wouldn't make sense because he's dead. That you took him mm-hmm. off there. So like I said, it makes it more sense. The fact that, and, and this is where I thought that they, um, we're going down that line with the whole Riri Williams thing because the fact that when he did the hologram messages to his to his daughter and then Requan, I was like, that. I said that feels like that's the you know the little Easter egg of saying like they're gonna bring him back as the AI Tony mm. to lead her because oh, yeah, I'm like yeah. that's their gateway. I'm like that's their gateway to do that. Him just being able to to send those messages at like that. So, I, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm happy the way that they're going down the line. They have a lot of the current writers who are doing all the, because, um, I mean, it was all Stanley's wishes. You know, he has all the writers who are currently doing the all new, all different Marvel comics and stuff that are helping out with scripts and things like that. So, again, I, I feel like they're going to go down the right path. I think there's going to be plenty more for the come because, again, we still have the X-Men. We still have the Fantastic Four. Um and then with Wanda that you just mentioned, uh, I, I guess like I hope they can re-origin her. I hate the fact that Silver, Silver uh, Quicksilver is gone, but I, I'm hoping that with the introduction of the X Men, they can kind of re-origin her because the fact that Magneto is her father for and, mm. and the, to be able to because that's because they're twins so and that's and those are his kids and that's the only way they're going to be able to implement the house of m story it has to do with magneto 
in her. So I don't I don't see any other way they can make the house in story with the mutants and Scarlet Witch without having her be the daughter of Magneto. So it's interesting. I'm looking aren't, forward to it. Aren't there right aren't there rights issues there? Remember they couldn't say mutants, they had to say enhanced on the field. Like has that all been have they smoothed well, they, all that out now so they, well, they can own, they own everything. So except so they for can, Hulk. But at the yeah. time they at the time they didn't right because they didn't say mutants they said enhanced right. like right so right. now they can yes. do that they, now can, they can okay yes well that's yeah. good because that was so I hated that I was like enhanced on the field what the heck um, and if you've watched Agents of Shield have you watched that are you all cut up uh, I watch it here and there uh, I, uh, okay I mean, it's something that I said that I'm gonna really dive deep into it but I, I know what you said they always do say enhanced they don't you know they don't say well, I was actually going to touch on something else. In Agents of Shield, I won't, I won't ruin it. It actually gets really good. You should watch it because there's, there's a character who shows up who, I think they could do maybe some movies with him, but he, he, uh, you don't see him in any of the movies, but he's awesome in Agents of Shield. And then, um, he's, a, he's a superhero. And then they bring a character back from the dead because they can like quote unquote do that with technology. So if that's canon. Shield could have the ability to bring back anybody they want at any time, and and Fury could have done it without them knowing. He could have basically been like, "Yeah, the minute you stepped into our facilities or our ships or whatever, we we did full body scans and DNA scans. We can make them. We can make them anytime. So anytime they want to pull the trigger on bringing a character back, I mean, they kind of can do that because they did it. They did it in Agents of Shield. So if that that I, I, I'm I'm assuming that's canon." to the MCU because they mention New York and other things. They mention the Avengers. I uh, yeah. I don't want them to do that, but they can if they want. Well, you got to understand, Marvel is the king of red cons, so <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you, know, you never know anything. Yeah. Alright. Okay, I'll move on to Wolverine, dude. Thanks for calling in. No problem. Alright, Wolverine, you were really looking forward to calling in today, and I'm actually curious. Oh, Rexus, I'm sorry. I'm skipping Rexus. Come on, come on. Hang on, hang on. Alright, I don't want the Swiss to be angry with me. What do you got, Rexus? <laughs> don't worry, I'm not an angry German. That's that's, that's way worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, alright, alright, alright. <laughs> no, uh, first of all, uh, so, some, something bothered me during the... Uh, Maybe I just got it wrong, or I'm taking it from the comics. But when you said um, that we wanted to first watch uh, Hulk and then, like, start off with Hulk and then Captain America, and I was like, whoa, 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 hold up! I thought they also mentioned that um, wasn't Banner's idea to copy the Captain America serum, or was that just in the comics? Uh... Wasn't there something? I don't think so. I think in the movie, Banner's trying to figure it out and obviously messes it up and gets exposed to Gamma. Yeah. And then Tony shows up in the post credits of Hulk and basically is talking to the general about like, you got a problem on your hands. Yeah, but the, but then it sh- shouldn't then be Captain America before Hulk. I can't in if the cr- in the to- chronological, but in the chronological order, we're doing it according to the dates of the movies. So Cap. Cap takes place in during you know the, the World War, so like it's ancient. It's ancient in yeah. comparison. Yeah, I, th- I thought we were doing that, weren't we? I thought we were watching them uh, in the uh, um, universe chronological order. 
We we are, and Hulk got bumped. Hulk would have been after Iron Man too, because oh, Tony oh, Tony becomes yeah that, Tony right? becomes Tony? Iron Man, and then he shows up as Tony Stark as Iron Man Tony Stark at the end of Hulk. So Hulk would have landed after Iron Man too, but we cut it because we couldn't find it anywhere. You can't watch that movie anywhere without paying, and I'm like, I'm not gonna ask people to pay money to watch that movie. It's easily the the worst in the series. <laughs> yeah, that, that one I have to give you. It is. I watched it once and it was like most of the MCU sticks with me, but that one just did not. I, I can barely remember what was in it. Well, and, and the way that, like... <laughs> well, and the way they show Hulk now is better. He looks better. He feels better. Like the technology's better. It's just, it doesn't. I don't know. I it it. I didn't want to force it. I think it's good. I think it's you know. Obviously, we know the 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 origin story of Banner. This is why I like that they didn't show the origin story of Spider Man. Like we just here he is. He's Spider Man. Um, we don't need to see him get bit by a spider for like the the what, one millionth time. Uh, and so I I like that they did that. And so with same deal here. I think with with Hulk, it was like I didn't think we needed to watch it because I don't think anything substantive happens in the movie and other than yeah it's he, he fights um oh, the, oh, who's he fight um I forget the bad guy it's he fight he fights the, the the bad guy in the movie and then like that's abomination thank you he fights abomination and it's just like over and done with and I don't I, for fans of abomination that probably felt rushed too yeah, it was in the abomination was then just very quickly dispatched as well. <clears throat> and re- regarding uh, end bosses in quotations, or rather just the uh, big bad evil guy of the uh, movies, uh, I've heard like I've, I've, uh, I've been hanging around the MCU a little bit, especially uh, in regards to reviews and especially mostly the movies that I enjoyed the most or was the most intrigued by. Mm-hmm. And I've heard many people say Iron Man 1 was great, but many people hate the um, uh, big bad uh, Jeff Bridges in a giant robot suit. I, th- I think they even made a short <laughs> made an abbreviation for that. <laughs> that I used... I think it was Cosmodor who used it in the whole he reviewed the whole MCU and he always used that abbreviation for a big for a big bad big thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean I have to and I have to say I, I get where they're coming from, but I, I have to disagree a little bit. It was not that stupid. It was really like I can see him. Like, I was a little surprised by him uh, actually being like, okay, I'm now getting into that suit. That's going to be no problem at all. No test drive, no nothing. I'm just getting in there. But uh, otherwise, they almost had to do something like that because Tony with his um, Mark II just became so much stronger that anything else would maybe not have been really a challenge. Yeah, and they do that in the movies. Maybe I, I know they do it a lot in Iron Man Two, and they do it with uh, uh, Bruce Banner in Infinity War, where they keep popping open the thing so you can see their face. Um, I know people have memed it. They say it looks kind of cheesy and kind of corny, but I also think it's like uh, you want to connect and know who's in there. Like always doing the zoom in face, where like they have the lights on their face and stuff. 
you know, I think sometimes it's okay to pop the helmet open and let us see them, but I do think it sometimes looks a little silly, like just this teeny little guy and this giant thing. I mean, a banner looks similarly humorous, I think, in Infinity War when he's like, oh, you guys are so screwed now when Thor shows up. I don't think that that lands that well because it does look a little cheesy. Um, it could have been delivered by somebody else, or again, it could have been delivered with the with with the hood down, with the helmet down. Because in the middle of combat, you're not gonna do that. You're not gonna you know expose next to your heart. That's your most vital place to get shot is your face. And so it's like it is a little silly that they do it. I think they do it a little too much in uh, in Iron Man two. But I let that ride. I'm like, that's yeah, just part of movie making. Like, it's not a comic where you can just put little speech bubbles. They have to do sometimes a, a level of immersion touchdown to say, like, oh, here, yeah, this is this is their face. This is and what they're looking like. We also have to consider, even though it is quite serious, the MCU, it is still a comic universe. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, we, we got to consider that. It's it's still supposed to be somewhat fun and not just. 100% realistic. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I also really, really liked how... I, I like that they made, um, basically, Tony win, not because he had the better suit, not just because he had the better suit, but because of his wits. He was, like, running on his last 20%. Yeah. <laughs> on the car, and he, he just uh, mostly outsmarted Bridges, because... Uh, he just, he just was, his greed was kind of his downfall. Yeah. Like, uh, it might be very standard to make something like that, but I don't mind it. I, I don't mind cliches if they work well and make sense. He died in a cliche way, but the journey there is good. Like, it's not this, it's not pristine or clean. Like, even when Tony pulls off the ice, he outsmarts him with the ice. Even right after that, you're like, yeah, he got him. And then Tony's like, oh, oh. And he, like, slowly comes back down to earth, like, barely slowing his descent. I I think it's good. I think it's it, it feels, like, honest. Like, he would he would have been sloppy. He would have had a hard time fighting him. And, and, yeah, Bridges dies in kind of the cliche big bad boss guy dies in a big explosion, you know, falls into a vat of lava or something. I, you know, but it's okay because I think the journey to get there is good. It feels, it feels by the skin of your teeth. Like he almost doesn't make it. He has to like use his hand at one point. He like spread apart the fan, you know, like the, 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 the parts of his hand to block the bullets uh, from hitting him in the face. I thought they did a good job with all of that. It, it, you don't want you don't want Iron Man just to show up and just be like, "Yep, I'm awesome. I'm Iron Man." Pew 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 pew, and he destroys everything. We get that when he goes to that village and saves those people, but then when he fights uh, Bridges' character, uh, when he fights Obadiah, I think it's it's better. It feels more like a, a true a true Rock'em Sock'em Duke you know Duke out. Yeah, it's it it the journey was definitely worth it to get there, even if. The end was cliche. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I said, I have to disagree with the reviewers who say, "Yeah, it was just a dumb robot versus robot fight." But honestly, it's almost a little bit. That was almost what we were here for, weren't we? It's called Iron Man, the movie. Yeah, that's like, what he's come do. on. <laughs> yeah, they, he blows up a ta- he blows up a tank. He needs something that's somewhat equal or greater in strength to feel some tension. Like he he yeah. gets shot down out of the air by a tank and then just like blows up the tank. Like uh, pff, you're done. And he takes out a jet by accident. I I just I don't. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you could have really done it any other way. You needed there to be a pretty significant threat, and 
I think they do a pretty good job of that in Iron Man 2 with, you know, with the, the all the suits and stuff that show up. And then, you know, I, Iron Man 3 is, is, is a bit of a travesty if, if you're a fan of the, the villain that they use. But by and large, I thought this was a good ending. I liked it. It didn't... You feel like, man, he's still got to find his footing. He's got to build another suit now. You know, he's he's got to he's got to build another uh, thing for his chest. Um, and he obviously has one in the in the post credit scene. Like he seems like he's back to he's back to full power again. So he's he's glowing bright in that scene. So yeah, but and, and we know he he made a, at least uh, one totally new one with uh, cartridges where he just can just. Uh... When he, where he can just um, switch out the... Uh, I forgot the name. Yeah, but you don't uh, see that until Iron Man 2, isn't that? That's when the sickness yeah, is spreading. Yeah, only, you're... yeah, we only see it then, but he, he will make that one as well. So yeah. he'll have a bunch of iterations. And yeah. I think he also... And later he also put an arc reactor in each of the suits in just in addition. Yeah, yeah, because he has them all come out and help in three. Yeah. yeah. Well, another thing I'd like to mention is... um. I'm not sure if like, I can't fully remember, but I'm not sh- so I'm not sure. But Iron Man I th- might have revolutionized 3D art a bit there, because I, I'm not sure if I. It's it's a bit late. Like it's uh, I'm not that old yet, so I can't remember everything. But mm-hmm. uh, the uh, 3D technology they used, like the, the 3D, uh, sorry, the uh, 3D rendering of uh, all the. Uh, Hard elements and mm-hmm. the the suit on him that with with every little piece that always moved like everything that didn't just look like a suit it yeah. looked like everything was connected with all the little bips and bobs uh, moving small little uh, oh, what's it called uh, pneumatic cylinders going up and down and yeah. I that I, I touched on that earlier. I think that's one of the reasons this this was an easy home run because they could they they had the tech to make Iron Man look cool, and it was they they didn't they weren't quite there yet. You watch Hulk, and he he doesn't feel as connected to the world as he does in Avengers and in Endgame and Infinity War. Like Hulk looks better. I mean, I hate what they did to Hulk. We'll get into that when we get that far in the MCU. I hate how sidelined he gets. You know, after Ragnarok, that's just kind of his last foray, and I believe that's a bit of a bummer. But if you compare Hulk and Ragnarok to Hulk in in the movie with Ed Norton, there's a clear difference in the technology. They just they got better at it, and I do think Iron Man was easy because it's just all metal. It's like they didn't have to do like a cheesy leather outfit for him. They did because like trying to make Batman look cool. Like go back and watch Batman Begins. It doesn't. His suit looks kind of goofy. His his face looks kind of silly. Like he can't turn his head. Um, it looks r- like like kind of like rubber. It doesn't. I don't know. I, I think Iron Man was was an easy was an easy sell. Like there's even aspects of Captain America's outfit. Like when he's got the hood on with the eyes and stuff. It's like. Uh, it doesn't look as good. Like it, it looks, it looks a little silly. Like, would you really wear that? That doesn't look like something you would wear. But he's wearing it because they want him to look like Cap. Um, so I, I think one of the best outfits of a character that they brought forward and contextualized would be uh, Wonder Woman. I think it's hard to make that outfit look good, and I thought they nailed it. She looks great. She looks, she looks like Wonder Woman, but she doesn't look like she's running around in a bathing suit. And I think that's tough with some of these heroes the way they're portrayed in the comics especially the women because they were always in like really really you know 
busty leotards and stuff and it's like that just kind of looks silly when you put somebody like that in the battlefield so um I, that costume design was a huge was a huge factor in these movies as well like uh, Black Widow comes a long way. She looks, I don't think she looks like her hair, <laughs> her hair and the color of it is, is kind of like a little wild, uh, when she first shows up. And I think ScarJo ends up looking better later in the series, but her outfit's right. Like it looks, it looks right. She's kind of like Ninja Assassin. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think when I first saw this, I remember being blown away. Like, oh my gosh, that looks so good with the little spinning and the, all the vents opening and closing, you know, I love it. Yes, they, 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 they. I'm pretty sure the um, flight, the first um, flight check or pre-flight check uh, sequence that they made. Honestly, I think they just made that to just show off the suit, how where they all have moving parts and how they work. Yeah, <laughs> do you remember that? But he said like test all the uh, uh, what's it called? I forgot the word. When he just does like the ten the ten percent flight flight lift power and he like hits the wall. Oh yeah, that oh, that, that was hilarious too when he where he first yeah. That, it, it was nice that it, that it looked like he that, that they made him like really. He he is not just smart. He's also dedicated. Like he he didn't just um, get to his position where he is uh, just by smart. He also seems really really dedicated because mm-hmm. that was just a lot of trial and error and literal headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, do you have anything else, or I'm gonna go to Wolverine? That was good. <clears throat> mm, uh, just think. Oh, yeah. Uh, I kind of want to mention RDJ is now 55 years old. Oh man. So I'm I'm okay if he's retiring. He's retiring <laughs> from the MCU. Like he, he's old. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting up there. Like that was kind of what that's kind of what I was. That's what I was kind of saying to JB. I was like, I would be, I would be worried they'd overstay their welcome. It would be like, okay, they shouldn't have done this. I'm trying to think of a. It's like when TV shows do an extra season. It's called jumping the shark. It's like you, you just, it's okay. You can yeah. be done now. Um, I it, people hated that about Seinfeld. You know, there's different shows that they end, and they're like, nope, that's the end. And people wanted there to be like. Breaking Bad, you know, uh, sequels and spinoffs. And I thought Better Call Saul was good, but it's like we, we can't bring this back again. It would be, it would be, it would feel forced. So, so, all right, I'm gonna go to Wolverine. That's Thanks, right. Rexus. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. All right, I am actually genuinely curious why you were so anxious to call on this movie. Are you do- are you ready to dog it? Is that what's gonna no, happen? No. No, no, not at all. And and first off, hi to you. Uh, hi to everyone listening, all platforms. I hope they're enjoying themselves. You know, this is obviously an interesting topic, and I typically will always try to make myself available just every Monday because I, you know, enjoy this storyline so much and it means so much to me. Just and I resonate with a lot of it. But no, I uh, I love I love this movie. I feel like this movie, you know, you know, few words come to mind. You know, foundation. This movie just set the tone for the next 10 years and, and and people like Kevin Feige and for you know viewers not listening Kevin Feige is like the created head of the MCU universe it's or excuse me MCU I just double <laughs> double universe but uh he is the creative head of this entire project and he is the one who spearheaded a lot of these deals to get a lot of these uh intellectual properties under one umbrella 
Hmm. So, you know, for him starting off with this one and and with the amazing vision of John Favreau and, and the amazing things that he is able to just touch his finger and it's it's really like, you know, uh, you know, King Midas, you know, just touching everything and it's just turning to gold. It's 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 amazing what, you know, Favreau can do and uh where where we're left off with with this very first Iron Man and and you know, you alluded to it earlier with the breadcrumbs. Uh, the breadcrumbs I feel are sprinkled in this movie and then sprinkled stretching out the entire MCU. And I'll let you tell your audience quickly the one breadcrumb you were mentioning about the cheeseburgers. Right, right. That comes up at the very end when the daughter wants cheeseburgers and and happy's and how like, powerful. yeah, I'll get you as many you know cheeseburgers as you want. You know, your dad liked cheeseburgers. Um, yeah, that was good. <clears throat> and, and, and it's it's just such a powerful scene and you remember these types of moments from the very first movie and and there's so many other different uh memories and scenes that stretch beyond just that first one um a lot of uh a lot of that also has to do with uh a, the foreshadowing i like to bring in foreshadowing mm-hmm. in terms of where i go with these conversations because i think foreshadowing has a lot to do with where they they stretch these movies um another uh big part of uh foreshadowing i feel that they they do with with this movie in particular remember the conversation obadiah stain is having with um i can't remember the character's name or the actor's name but we all know his face he's a scientist and he's saying uh tony stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps the guy says i'm not tony stark that mm-hmm. scene stretched and is basically the seed that plants into what we know as Mysterio. That kind of linear thinking to go th- that back and plant those things, it almost makes you think, wow, were they thinking that far ahead? Or they were just able to spider web map this and be able to connect these powerful and 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 I, I don't know, that scene, and, and, and for me personally, I laugh at that scene. I quote that scene with a few of my friends because just just how how much he yelled at him and another another scene in particular uh uh when uh bridges gets into uh, tony's ear and he says technology tony that side of the world's weakness it's there's just so many so many things and so many uh mm. lines in that movie that that really plant the stage and, for, and i don't know if you have anything to add in terms of uh foreshadowing and and anything i've touched on well my favorite foreshadowing, if it even was, I'm going to take it as foreshadowing, is when the doctor said, is this the last great act of defiance? Uh, is this the last act of defiance of the great Tony Stark? <clears throat> and it's like, somebody needs to overlay that with his last act of defiance and like what it leads to. Um, I also like, I don't think it's foreshadowing, but the parallels of the first time he says, I'm Iron Man, and the last time he says, I'm Iron Man are two completely different versions of Tony Stark. One is arrogant, one is sort of, uh, he wants to be seen as a hero. He's like, clearly I'm not the hero type. And they're like, nobody said you are. Like, and he, But he wants to be thought of as a hero type. And in the end, his true act of heroism, he says it again, but in a very, very different way. Um, you're a man who has everything and nothing. I love the great reversal of that in Endgame. He goes from having nothing and nobody to having a wife and a child and wants to protect that and doesn't want to go back down the rabbit hole with the Avengers because 
that I think again is a good flip for him. He goes from having nothing and being incredibly wealthy to not caring about fighting anymore and not caring about that world anymore. He just he wants his daughter and his wife and his his uh, his happy life. Um, and I did think they they foreshadowed when he tells uh, Pepper it's the next mission. Like that's all that matters. I think that again was they were laying groundwork that he was now more motivated by he becomes mission oriented and and almost obsessively you know to a fault and i think that uh i think that that was again and she says you're going to kill yourself doing this that might have been accidental um but i think that's always hovering there right it's always hovering in the movies that tony's willing to die for everybody he t- like think about it he takes the bomb up to the portal in avengers he's letting the poison kill him he won't tell anybody about it um and then the final the final snap i i i think they i, I think they lay that theme from the beginning to the end that tony's actually ironically enough considering who he is as a person and he's so narcissistic and so full of himself but ready to die as yep. to be to, to be the hero and to add on to that and to a perfect point was uh, when he was given the vision by uh, uh, Scarlet Witch in uh, Age of Ultron, where he sees all the Avengers just down by the Chitari, just still flying in space. I feel that was just, as you said, setting the stage to this selfless act that he was going to have to do within the future. Did we know it was going to be with that gauntlet snapping? No, but it really... It really, it really did uh, culminate in, in a really f- amazing way, and and you've you've touched on this all day. And what an amazing job you know, Robert Downey Jr. did with this character from very start to very end. And you know, we have our gripes with Iron Man three, but <laughs> you know, I think I think in time, you know, that movie will look back on it in a redemption. Uh, in terms of a a nice foreshadowing in regards to that movie. And in regards to the main character everyone had a problem with in terms of villain, there's uh, another thing uh, that was left in this movie that it really it, it blows my mind and it makes it almost unfathomable that these guys were thinking about this or if they just had thought that it would turn into something. But while Tony was being recorded, in the background of these terrorists, you see a red banner and you see 10 rings. Mm-hmm. There's a new movie being set in the future. Uh, uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm. This will give us this character who is the basically the best martial artist within the Marvel Universe in, in the comics as well. And uh, Kevin Feige ha- had confirmed in the 2019 Comic-Con that the Mandarin will be played by a Tony Lung and uh you can look him up he's he's i think he's perfect for the part as well and i think we will have some sort of revitalization Hmm. of the mandarin character it's unfortunate we won't get to see mandarin versus iron man because i think if anybody watched the cartoon they they, he was just always the one that he was button heads with that was you know his red skull that was uh you know his his i guess i don't want to say venom but i guess venom just so to speak it was just the rival villain to iron man within most of the comics and the cartoon series hmm 
I mean that that's exciting to me. It's a bummer that they kind of bumbled Mandarin then because the they did they even said ten rings in this movie. Like they it's it it did. I remember thinking like that felt what they never did anything with that. It did feel like a seed plant. Like yeah, we're gonna do more with this later. Maybe 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 they just did it so they would have that as an option if they wanted to. Um, because it was very briefly said. They're like yeah, they call themselves the Ten Rings, and that that was the end of it. They didn't say much more after that. And it just, it's like, I, I, I would, proverbially, I would kill to be a fly in a room with Kevin Feige talking about either things he did in the past to lay out blueprints for the future, whether it's for the X-Men, the Fantastic Four. We, we already see that, and, and, and I'm glad, uh, uh, Tarai, uh, Chari, sorry if I'm, you know, butchering that, but, you know, she asked a, a, a question, I think it almost sets the stage, and I really do feel that why Sony was so compelled to take the offer that Marvel put on the table, because I really do feel that the Spider-Man persona and character will take up the mantle as the Tony Stark of the next Avengers series of movies. Hmm. It's when you 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 mentioned your your children just pointing out Spider-Man when they think of Marvel, and that's pretty much most children when they think of Marvel, they can't help but to think Spider-Man, and it's pretty much how you could put on the same representation for the DC universe when you mention any of the Trinity of Wonder, uh, Soups, and uh, Batman. Mm-hmm. But I I really do. Feel Feel that in terms of that prior to the, even the movies of the MCU universe you had Marvel you thought of Spider-Man Iron Man was up there but Iron Man was definitely brought up on of yeah I would say an even playing field as Spider-Man when mm-hmm. thinking about a Marvel overall perception because of Robert Downey Jr's excellent perception in the movie's general direction of how it uh trailblazed the last 10 years yeah I, I don't know if you right. have any thoughts on Spider-Man particularly. I think you're right. I think that I think temporarily they'll probably try to use Hemsworth and the Guardians to to be to do like the blockbuster thing. But I think as time goes on, they've even already hinted at him being the next Tony Stark. They do that in Homecoming. Uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, Far From Home. I, I think Guardians and, and 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 Thor will be that space universe, that mm-hmm. realm, but that Earth. Uh, yeah series of people will definitely be succumbed and and i i feel like i don't want to say in inherently controlled but uh supervised by i think spider-man's just going to have an overwhelming role within that universe if if the pictures are are being painted out as as they have been well, and I think they're also probably thinking logistically here, like Tom Holland is young, Spider-Man is is just an easy sell, everybody loves Spidey, and I'm not big on comics, but I know Spidey touches so many characters in the, he ends up, he, he I know he ends up fighting Wolverine, he ends up fighting Hulk, like he, he's touched in so many places that they, they can use him as a central character, I think it'll work, and I think that's why I think recasting it as Tom Holland and and that's probably why there was that big debate right when we were going to lose him we were going to lose Spider-Man out of the MCU I wonder if people saw that potential they're like this kid's got another decade easy of being a central hero figure he's like the next RDJ people just love him Um, and so I think you're right I do think he makes more sense as a, a central appeal and a central draw um, especially for Earth, like Spidey in New York, like it just doesn't get much more like, you know, 
because a lot of these comics are based, you know, in American culture. It doesn't get mo- much more American than Spider-Man in New York, you know? Mm-hmm. Him him just uh, straddling, you know, the flag right on top of the tallest tower. Yeah, you know, I, I absolutely agree. Two, uh, two quickly last things. I know uh, we're extending this really long, but I don't I don't feel like, and this might have slipped me by, but I, I was pretty much here for most of, of the repeat theater stream. But uh, I don't think you touched on the Nick Fury scene probably as much as I wanted to, or mm. as much as I wanted you to, if yeah. not in terms of kind of describing how strong and pivotal that scene was i at least in me and i don't know if your viewers really share this at all with myself or even if you but you know after that scene i don't think i ever sat at the end of credits as much as i ever did yeah you know i I make jokes i'm you know we're not seeing a marvel movie and and whoever i'm with they're like what are you doing i'm like i'm waiting for sam sam l jackson to come out and saying they're building a team what do you mean like (laughs) you know i use that as a premise to, to stick around because i i think what the what kevin feige personally wanted to do and and unite these characters under one umbrella you know we had these movies with uh the beginning of the x-men's with hugh jackman's you had the toby mcguire spider-man series you know we had the blades we had all these uh, and 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 uh i can't forget the eric banna hulk but we had all these films and and we enjoyed the renditions to a degree but we always thought about what if they had a friend or what if they had this or what if they had that and yeah. and this is bringing it to life and and i, I personally and why i felt I, I resonate with this series so much you know why i'm into comics and why i'm into these these superheroes in general my father was into it and and he passed right he, like that last movie he saw was iron man and to to tell him what it would look like today oh my gosh uh it, it, it would be so it was so so beautiful so i i don't know if if you feel as strong about the end credit scene uh situation as i do if if the iron man one kind of set the tone and be like wow let's let's stick around let's see what's going to happen if they're going to connect something i wish i would have t- i wish i would have said this because I'm, I'm glad you brought it up i remember being so thrilled that they were doing doing a, a movie like this but then i felt that that end credit scene was a promise it was like we're gonna create something bigger than just another superhero movie and to me the mcu is is my generation star wars like this was our epic drawn out our opera yeah this is our big series when i saw endgame in the theaters i got like emotional i was like this is probably the pinnacle of my cinematic experience i'll never be this invested in anything ever again i just won't like i i was so invested in everything that led to that moment of on your left cap it was it was amazing and i didn't get to have that with star wars because i grew up watching star wars like on my dad's tv on vhs so when i saw all the new star wars movies there was just they were all drenched with disappointment um and they never they never really achieved which i can't wait to talk about yeah well they (laughs) never really gave me what i wanted i was heavily invested in star wars and i just didn't feel like they they landed the plane which is why i loved mando i felt like mando gave me what i wanted as a star wars fan you know same with rogue one and with mcu there's weak spots but man oh man like i love that end scene with sam jackson like i want to talk to you about the avengers initiative and you're thinking as a fan you're like oh my gosh they're literally gonna make all these movies they're gonna make the avengers like this is incredible and it to me it felt like a promise it felt like a promise of something bigger than oh we'll do a trilogy of iron man movies or a trilogy of batman movies and 
they delivered on that promise. I, re- I, 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 I firmly believe that they did, and I don't think I'll ever be... I won't feel this invested either because if you think about it like my attachment to RDJ a lot of these actors we know and love they're from our sort of era as moviegoers and so whatever they do in the future with the series will be enjoyable I'll love it but I won't have like a almost like a spiritual connection um with the characters and the stories, I won't care as much. And yeah. that's that's sad, but also kind of cool that we got to be here and, and we got to experience and be a part of the MCU's birth. And it's, I mean, they've set a standard, I think, a gold standard for what superhero movies can and should be like, which makes me hopeful maybe they can start to go back and fix <laughs> fix some of the ones, you know, like we, we, we mentioned Fantastic Four. It's like, oh, please go back and fix that, you know, because those are great characters. Those are great stories. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with that so much. And I and, and I share JB's uh, conviction for continuity so, so much. The fact that we, we, we mentioned Magneto and you're, you mentioned the enhanced on the field. It's just it just makes me like grind my teeth a little bit because why couldn't Fox just, you know, just do this years ago? We couldn't have X-Men you know you know back in 2008 we could have been formulating how they could have brought mm-hmm. it in but i i have faith you know in terms of their storytelling i don't think they've disilluded us in terms of creating a bad picture yes yeah, some decisions weren't that great but i feel like with terms of the mcu kevin feige in particular has put people in the direction to continue the story and 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 um one uh, thing I wanted to, to segue in and, and one last thing you've, you've touched on today and you just touched on right now in terms of, of character resonation, uh, picking up with a lot of these characters and, and, and whether it's just the MCU in particular or any type of superhero that you resonate with the story, whether it was in your childhood or whether it was in you know your, your adolescence and your teenage years. And I really, I'm really fond of how you resonate so much with Tony Stark and, and, and it's, <laughs> I have to call you a narcissist, but I, I see why you can say that about yourself. And I, and I, I'll be honest with you. I find it very admirable that huh. you can find that within yourself and, and actually say it and, 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 and live up to it and, and, and know that you have that part of you but it's 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 a part of you that leads to a better person and and i I think that's great that you you resonate so much with with tony stark and and uh, clearly from my name i don't know if you can guess who i resonate a lot with (laughs) um that character in in briefly i've i've endured pain i've i've actually had surgery and i have metal you know uh, attachments in my body that help me return back to college football at a very rapid pace. So I, I, I always loved Wolverine. I, I, and I resonate with a lot of the flaws too. You know, if you can remember from even comics and, and even in the cartoon where, you know, he just claws out running out and then he just gets yeeted right off rip. But he's, he figures it out what the problem is. And he comes back at the end of the episode, at the end of the comic. And he's usually on top or he's, he's with the X-Men in, in terms of helping the team. And I resonate a lot with that. You know, I, I've made my mistakes in terms of going things head on and then touching the proverbial fire and getting burned and then knowing how to approach things the next time around. So I really, 
appreciate your story in terms of how you connect with the character because it, it it humanizes not just the story it humanizes the rest of the audience in terms of how we perceive these stories and mm-hmm. you know and just like you said this is you know our our generation star wars and our generation storytelling and, and it's it's just one of those things it's, it's it's our generation's story where we can you know show our children these movies and they don't have to live through VHS and rewinding things. They just got either DVs or digital downloads. But yeah, that's a story for another time. And I enjoyed today so much. I, I hope you did too. I, I know yep. most of us can get dragged out, but you know, I, I love people that are passionate about topics and, and such. Yeah, yeah. And I, it, we're at an hour ten. J, I know JB wanted to talk again and call back in. I, I can't, I can't, I can't. If I let you nerds keep talking, well, I'll never get to dinner. I'll never get to dinner. I will never get to get dinner. Out of, yeah, get out of here. We yeah. have so many other movies. Uh, we'll, we'll be here every Monday. But I, 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 yeah. I, I love. I love what you did today in terms of the the line because more people are feeling confident, more people want to talk to you, and I love that. I truly do because it just builds your community and it builds both Repeat Theater and SNTR. Yeah. And um, I, I just I really do love the roundtable aspect, though. I feel like getting to talk to people like JB, getting to talk to people like Rexis, you know, getting to talk to new even new people. It's just it it, it opens the doorways. But I, I understand that more people wanting to be involved, and especially this movie being so powerful, it's mm-hmm. it's completely understandable that more people wanted to reach out. But I like the roundtable. I hope you did too. I hope it's something that you can foreseeable make part of uh, of some sort of regiment. But if not, it's okay too because you're you're killing it either way. Yeah, yeah, I, I miss the roundtable aspect today too. We'll have to think through how we would be want to do that. Um, I, I we'll we'll brainstorm about that because I think that does bring a better air of back and forth and conversation. And I know that was a little lacking today, but I don't want to push people away that want to jump on. So it's a it's a touchy balance. So we'll think about maybe how we want to do that. Um, maybe have after hour sessions, roundtables or something we could do for specific people that you know if they're wanting to pay for it, we want to have time to record it. Uh, we could we could brainstorm because I I missed that today. That was I liked. My favorite thing about the roundtable was you and JB and Rexus, and it was Giza the one time. Everybody's voices are so different, and you can tell people are calling from different regions of the world and different regions of the country, and that gives a cool effect. I think it's like absolutely these these movies break across all barriers and and can you know form friendships and and relationships that you would have never. I never would have thought I would debate movies and video games with a guy with like a Swiss or an Irishman or a German. You know, it's like or a guy guy from New York or a guy you know who grew up in a part of the country or a culture that I I have never grown up around I it's I love that it's something that uh, it's I've always just enjoyed. as powerful as, as you know things like music you know you got you know uh, American artists or English speaking artists go to go to countries that don't speak a lick of English or very minimal and they're mm-hmm. speaking singing the words for the artists when they you know reach out it's it's that powerful and connecting and I think you know movies and and different forms of art you know it can can do breach barriers just as just as you you proclaimed yeah exactly and if you guys are here now and you're like man that vip thing sounds cool you can do that uh through the patreon repeattheater.com uh you can go there and pick vip we should be able to unlock memberships on this channel i think this week because the turnout today was really good and we only need like another 
under a thousand more v- like watch hours, which I think will easily hit that very soon and be able to turn that on. So if you want to join in, also if you're tier one here or you're tier one on SNTR and above, get in the Discord. We're doing watch parties. So tonight we'll do some Stranger Things, then some Breaking Bad, then over the weekend whatever the VIP picks, and then the next movie is Iron Man Two. We always want to make sure and show that calendar at the end. So the the watch parties have been really really fun. More and more people are getting involved and uh, obviously if you're listening in the other locations this hits a lot of other places and podcast places you can always come to repeattheaterlive.com to watch these Monday through Thursday around 3pm Eastern and as always please like share and subscribe